Hello, everyone. Um, it's The Insurgents, episode 14, and I'm Rob Rousseau here. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing okay, Jordan. Jordan Yule, I'm doing fine. Uh, other Great. co-host. So, everyone, just um, just bear with us for one moment here. We had to, you know, we were pressed for time a little bit, so we wanted to get uh, rolling on the recording of the episode, but we're kind of in the middle of just sort of figuring out um, what we want to touch on and like the things that we want to focus on this episode. We're just sitting here in in uh, one of the conference rooms in uh, Insurgents Global HQ. So just if you just give us a minute, we're going to figure out exactly what we're going to be touching on in this episode. Yeah, we had to move to this room because our normal recording studio is a bit too cramped. We can't observe uh, social distancing in here, in yeah. there. So we had to, we had to move. Uh, so what are you thinking? I mean, uh, obviously there's a number of different there's the sort of stimulus package that just passed. We, we should definitely mention that. Uh, we have Josh Androsky coming on later. He's going to talk about his local L.A. politics and how they're responding to this. Is there anything else you wanted to to touch on? Man, I don't know. It's just kind of been a busy... Is that... Who's the door? Oh, uh, hey, guys. Hey, Ken. Ken, what are you doing here? I mean, what are you guys doing here? This is where I usually work. <laughs> well... Number one, what we're trying to do is maintain social distancing, and you're flagrantly violating that right now. Yeah, you just yeah. sat down right next to Jordan. Come on, well, this I don't is know like what essential. You're... This is essential work, right? So, uh, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, obviously. So what's up? Can we help you with anything, or what? What's going on? Um, you know, I'm just getting through my day, um, doing work. Uh, what do? You, uh, wh- why did you guys decide to visit me? <laughs> Wait, are you gaslighting us? <laughs> this is more toxic behavior from from ken no the question is are you guys gaslighting me because this is where i work every day and now you're like what Wait, you, don't, you don't work here what are you do? what are you talking about i'm a contractor so you guys love to play that game where you say you say you don't work here except when i do work here and and i have a stack of fucking tps reports that uh have to be on your desk the next day but of course you don't talk about that stuff to the well why don't you just work in your office you know i know we've we've designated a space for you somewhere in this building and i, I feel like maybe it would be better if you just stuck to working in in there or the you designated even, space we've designated somewhere you don't even know where it is, that, is you know, that's what it is i keep that was the office running. manager that did that stuff that's not my responsibility <laughs> all right well i mean what's go? is your office not good enough uh well, you know, it doesn't have any windows. All right, I mean, that, that can't be. I mean, I restarted a job. I, my, my first starter job, I didn't have windows. Yeah. I, at my first starter job, I was cleaning up children's barf at Walmart in Brockville, Ontario. So you yeah, should consider yourself lucky to have that. Yeah. I mean, you probably have a desk, right? I'm 32. This isn't a starter job. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we've talked about it before on the show, man. I think people need to be grateful for the opportunities for exposure that we're giving them. That's for true. This, and, for the, you know, the, at this place. I mean, it has a really nice kind of like lemon scented sort of smell when you go in there, which is nice because there's all these cleaning supplies like inside of it. Um, so that's cool, too. <laughs> Wait a second. Are you sitting in the utility closet? Well, I mean, if you put it that way, but, um, it's centrally located. It's a place that a lot of people want. Um, I think they want it so much they haven't even asked if they could, you know, trade rooms with me because they know it's so absurd that I would ever do, I would ever give them that. But, um, I mean, there's a lot of upsides to it. I guess right now it's good to be next to all the Javex and all that, all that stuff. Really, we're doing you a favor. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it's my own plate. I don't share it with anybody. It's specific. I'm still waiting on that nameplate. It's been like a few months now. If you guys can see that. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, again, you are a contractor, cool. so let's not <laughs> let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Well, we appreciate the optimism, Ken. Like you said, it's a great office. You should be lucky. You should be thankful. Yeah, so if yeah. you could just go ahead and head scooch back on there. back there. Maybe yeah, we can... It's upsides for sure. Um, I mean, the, there's no lights in there, so that kind of um, is conducive to meditation. Just sit there, kind of think about things. Okay, yeah. so just to be clear, just to be clear, you've just been sitting in a supply closet in the dark, silently. Is that what you're? Well, in my supply closet, yes. <laughs> like, That's a great way of looking at it. <laughs> Okay, well, we're back. It's the Insurgents. Um, thanks for tuning in. And I, as we as we talked about, I am here with Jordan and Ken, and we're we're being serious now. How are you guys doing? How's it going over there? I'm doing well. What's up, Ken? How are you? I know that's like a colloquialism, like how's it going, but it's just like doesn't really work when the country's imploding and there's like yeah. a state to like, run. <laughs> so I'm kind of like want to be polite and be like, oh, like I don't want to like be a downer on him, but it's just like, uh, I mean, you're Canadian, so it's like. Uh, I don't know. You're seeing the country disintegrate in in real time and very rapidly. Like the graph of unemployment is a vertical line. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that before. It's literally just a line straight up. It's well, so actually, you know, I'm. I saw that Trump was stationing troops at the United States border, and it's making me a little nervous because I know I and many other Canadians are just clamoring to get into the United States right now. Yeah, yeah. The, the very functional and non-dangerous <laughs> place that everyone wants to be at this moment. I, yeah, I can't imagine anything you want more as a Canadian <laughs> than coming to the United States and getting that sweet American health care system. Uh, yeah. Boy, you must be so jealous of us right now. I the, am. I'm the, being owned right Millions now. of people uninsured, uh, aggravating this global health crisis. Uh, boy, you must be. You must feel like an absolute buffoon <laughs> having universal health care right now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, it's true. I was yeah. just... I'm hoping that maybe if I, you know, if I if I have some kind of a work visa thing because of my work that I, I usually I commute obviously to to Insurgents Global HQ, kind of stuck here um, now for the moment. So I'm hoping with I can get some kind of a work visa situation to make sure that I <laughs> get, to make sure I can gain entry to the the very functional uh, non failed state of the the USA right now. Well, you know, we, we're not just letting anybody in. <laughs> you're going to have to show some numbers. What are your, what, what are your, what, what's your performance looking like on uh, Apple Podcasts? Where are your, <laughs> yeah. your Twitter impressions looking like? You know, I mean, we can't just hand this out. Border Patrol's yeah. like checking your listen count. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're just going on clout.com. <laughs> yes. Oh, wait, what, yes. What, what, was that clout? Was that called clout? K-L-O-N-T. I think so, yeah. Oh, yeah. your clout score. That was so, so fucking deranged. People used to take that so serious. I, know. I can't believe you just brought that up. That brought me back to like 2013 Twitter. Yes. Yeah, I remember very well. And I'm kind of disappointed, actually, because even though it was, uh, you know, very unhealthy, I only really started to, like, gain a social media following after clout uh, folded. So now I've, I would like to see what my clout score is now. I'm sure it'd be much higher. You have no clout. 
That's what it is. I remember getting, uh, I got the check mark on Twitter, and that also gave you the check mark on Vine, and I liked Vine. I was like, oh, this is so cool. And then, like, a week later, they're like, we're shutting down Vine. All right, had a good run. Enjoyed that week. Another great, I I feel like we're learning how wonderful the marketplace is because you can, um, you know, try to buy a face mask and it's like either literally impossible or it costs a zillion dollars because some asshole bought every you know one of them and is um price gouging um cloud is kind of or what what you're talking about is 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 kind of like that too in in the sense that uh wait what was the thing you just mentioned fuck i'm so tired vine yeah it's like vine something with like a ton of um the classic ken segue (laughs) yeah Vine with a ton of demand that everyone loved, and it's just kind of like, yeah, sorry, it's not the cards. We're shutting it down. It's like, wait, what? Everybody liked it. And then they create an identical thing under a different name, and it's like, why don't we just keep Vine to begin with that everyone liked? <laughs> oh, yeah, they did that Vine camera thing. Yeah. But but now, like, TikTok, the emergence of TikTok, it shows, like, there was a demand for that kind of right. app. And that's why it you're listening, bizarre, folks, so we could talk about social media platforms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Welcome to the Mashable uh, the branded uh, social media podcast. <laughs> we spent the entire time dunking on clout and it's like oh yeah so um if you like clout you're gonna love this new app that we've just made <laughs> <laughs> so ken, why are so, you uh, here ken yeah yeah what do you what do you have for us today ken so yeah you guys just mentioned it um cbp has requested um military assistance at the border and surprisingly most of that assistance is actually going to canada rather than the southwest border which is sort of shocking in itself and then the second thing which i'm like um you know not happy to say it's one of those situations where it's like you're right but you didn't want to be right yeah is that um you know thousands of dhs employees now are in south thousands of department uh, department of homeland security employees which includes ice and um, customs and border protection are in self-quarantine now um and that's shown by this document that was leaked to me from someone in the Pentagon and the document's not, you know, enormously specific about why they're in self quarantine, but you can sort of do the, you can guess why they're putting um, certain of their people in quarantine and not others. Um, and what's really dangerous about that is when you look at ICE and CBP detention facilities, they have people in enormously crowded um, facilities and uh, squalid facilities. Um, for example, just a couple of days ago, ICE detainees had a hunger strike asking for soap. So that's probably not going to be great when you, um, you know, talk about a pandemic uh, hitting these sorts of locations, how quickly it's going to spread through them. Um, but it, it looks like um, the worst fears of uh, the activist community and the immigrants' rights community um, is, is, is coming to pass. And not just them, but um, there are doctors at DHS that were urging Congress to consider releasing um, any detainees they can uh, just in the interest of public health. Um, the DHS's own inspector general, it's kind of like a watchdog agency, but it's it works with DHS, um, you know, issued a report last year describing, you know, how crowded these conditions are. So there was plenty of evidence, and it really angers me when people say, like, oh, how could we see this coming? It's such a tragedy. And it's like we had every indication and every warning that it was going to happen, but it does look like it's the worst is coming to pass. Yeah, and like you said, it's like this is something that I don't, I'm not happy to be right about. Um, this is as soon as this, this really started escalating and sort of, we saw everything kind of shutting down. That was one of the first things that occurred to me is like, oh, these, these immigrant detention centers and prisons are just going to turn into death camps really quickly. They're already extremely unsanitary. Uh, they're already overpopulated, uh, with kind of people living shoulder to shoulder, especially in these detention facilities where you've got like children and, and women and, and, and along with men. And it's, it's, it's really terrifying because it, like I don't, I feel very powerless about this because it's not like we can even go out and protest or try and do something to raise awareness for this. We're all kind of stuck, 
and just witnessing this uh, unfold, this really horrific situation. I don't really even know what the what the response should be. What's really heartbreaking is just that like all we have to do, we don't have to do anything positive in the sense of like you know spend money. Anything. It's like we just need to release as many of these detainees as possible, and many countries are doing that. Some counties are doing that with uh, prisoners generally. Um, so, for example, Iran, not exactly you know a um, bastion of civil liberties, they released something like I think forty thousand or eighty thousand prisoners. Um, just on the understanding that this is going to benefit public health because it's going to, the, the virus will spread more slowly. So can we can we be as progressive as Iran? I, I, I hope so, but <laughs> we're we're going to find out, I guess. Yeah, and speaking of Iran, I, I mean that's another thing that I mean I don't know what the fuck the the, the U.S. is doing like shock doctrine imperialism right now they're continuing to sanction iran and they're bombing like iranian targets in iraq and elsewhere right now like while this pandemic is going on deliberately making these things worse they're continuing to sanction like venezuela where they're dealing with their own outbreak and making it more difficult to deal with that and then they just did this thing where they they accused maduro of like narco terrorism and now they're doing this like big showy like we're, we're offering 15 million dollars reward for the information that leads to the arrest of that's, of maduro while all this so is going good. on it's just ludicrous it's like uh hey this guy is bad he's selling drugs uh if you can help us prove it we'll give you money yeah. but like hey we're gonna very large like loudly and publicly uh, uh indict this guy but help we'll, we'll buy evidence from you yeah <laughs> and hey you know it's not like the united states would ever uh, you know, be involved in drug trafficking and then using no. those funds to do illicit <laughs> other to fund, you know, foreign government. You, you know, no, no one obviously the American government would never do a thing like that. So it's, it's yeah, not the famously not corrupt United States. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the backdrop of this is giving Gilead this like insane license <laughs> to like drive up the price of a specific drug that is probably going to kill like I don't know how many more people than whatever they're alleging uh, Maduro did. So that's, it's a that's business. Great. It's a it's a business casual coup. It's a bunch of guys in suits who are just, you know, putting a shiny veneer over what what is explicitly a coup. I mean, this is just an extension of their imperialist foreign policy in Venezuela. That's it. They're just now trying a different way. They're trying it in, in like, fucking courtroom. Yeah, this goes back to our last episode um, where we were talking about how Trump might use this um, to pursue things that he might not otherwise be able to do. And I don't know. My jaw was on the floor seeing this because it's like, guys, we're looking, we're staring down the barrel of, like, perhaps millions of deaths and this is what the priorities are right now like it's completely mind-boggling yeah um also just going back to the the issue with immigration detention centers this is another thing that i think uh people in canada can be a little cute about because we say like oh you know we see this sort of really intentionally cruel way that that migrants are treated in the u.s and we say well thankfully we live in a civilized society where we never do anything like that uh not so uh, in case anyone from Canada that listens to this thinks that we are above this in some way, maybe it is like ever so slightly less intentionally cruel, uh, but we still do have a network of detention centers uh, for migrants here in this country. Um, there's a hunger strike going on right now at the Laval Immigration Detention Center. Um, this is like 45 minutes away from where I live due to fears of COVID-19 exposure. Uh, and they're trying to get released because of this ongoing crisis and it's falling on deaf, deaf ears. Um, also, another thing that just happened uh, with Trudeau is that uh, there was kind of a backlog of asylum seekers coming from the U.S., and Trudeau is sending them back right now because of the so-called uh, safe third country agreement between the two countries, even though it's clear to anyone that the United States is not a safe country for migrants uh, at the moment. So now Trudeau is sending these these 
people back uh, to the U.S. and will probably many will be deported back to wherever they came from, uh, which is going to be just a death sentence for many people. So if you're, you know, if you're Canadian and you, you listen to this show and think about all the various ways that America is broken and terrible and it gives you this feel this feeling of like smug superiority, uh, you should not feel smug or superior. Uh, a lot of the same stuff is also going on here and people need to be aware of that as well. But also if you're Canadian and you're single and you want to marry me so I can have health care, let me know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we do have that going for us. Yeah. Um, Canadians have the advantage of it's like it's like you're an Instagram thing and you're standing next to someone like extremely unhealthy like um what's an example? You're like you're like the next to the gateway pundit and he's just standing there dying and then <laughs> you just look so healthy next to him. Yeah. And that's like that's what Canada and the United States is. It's like being next to us, it's like no matter what it is, you're gonna look like saints even if your policies aren't that great. <laughs> yeah. No, I know, and this is this is exactly how left movements in Canada are have been suppressed for decades. Oh, interesting. Uh because because it's like, oh well look at us next to America, we're so enlightened and we have, we're it's basically like a socialist utopia. And a lot of people here believe that. But it's really not true. Huh. Um uh, any in any case, uh, Ken. Thanks for bringing this stuff to us, uh, and you know the work you've been doing uh, covering this this stuff. I mean, I guess I, I like I said before, I feel kind of powerless about what people should be even doing about this. Uh, but this is a crisis. This is like a really terrible situation that's unfolding, and it's going to get a lot worse before it gets any better. Um, so I guess it's I'm the best. The only thing we can do is really stay informed about it, and. Um, that's that's really the only way I know that we can do anything because as I know we're all stuck inside we can't we, there's nothing we can really do to, to counter this at the moment except you know be aware of it and if we can talk to our elected officials about about this kind of stuff try to make it more of an issue in the media and in politics but uh, I feel like that's the only thing we can really do right now well thanks for letting me out of the closet that's always fun. <laughs> well hey yeah, of course. Yeah, don't get any fun. ideas about, you know, <laughs> hanging out in the conference room, though, more. because <laughs> Get to stretch my legs. Yeah. <laughs> the conference room is a no-ken zone. Uh, just like in, there is a no-ken zone in our Discord server, which you can <laughs> wow. have access to if you uh, subscribe over on substack.theinsurgents.com. Uh, no, is theinsurgents.substack.com. Oh, fuck. Okay, but what Jordan just said, uh, and you can subscribe for $5 monthly or $55 annually, so you get a little discount there. Oh, uh, yeah. You get access to the Discord server. You're going to get access to future bonus content. Uh, for now, all the content's going to be remain free, but uh, if you want to subscribe, that's where you can do it. And again, in the Discord server, I can't guarantee that Ken won't use his like hacking skills to get in there, but there is a, a no-Ken zone where there's no way. I've I've... I've hired some some really dedicated uh, uh, white hat cybersecurity experts to make sure that that Ken is not able to have access to that. Well, I'll tell you this: I know a thing or two about Sigint after the uh, Russia investigation. So you guys better. Watch yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else, Jordan? Before we go to uh, before we get to our interview with Josh. Uh no, I mean just thanks for the iTunes reviews. Still, they're coming in. They're hilarious. Thanks for everyone who subscribes and. Yeah, thanks for listening. And Ken, hey, on the way out, could you take out this trash? There's <laughs> just like a bunch of like syringes and toxic waste for some reason. <laughs> unfortunately, there's no garbage can like in my in my office yet. Um, mm. They're still working on that, so I don't know where I'd put it. Um, do, do you want me to just kind of put it on the ground and, and work next to that? Yeah, I think for yeah, now that's probably the that's best. Fine. Just put it in your that's closet. The best solution. Out of sight, out of mind. All right. Before we go, Jordan, do you want to just let everyone know where the uh, the voicemail number is? 
Oh wait, we were supposed to. Yeah, we we're supposed to play some. Well, let's the, uh, let let everyone know what the voicemail number is. We'll we'll collect a couple more, and then next episode we're gonna we're gonna play some of the voicemails. Yeah, we got some funny ones. But yeah, if you want to call and leave a voicemail, it's two zero two five seven zero four six three nine. Again, two zero two five seven zero four six three nine. Yeah, so leave us some vo- uh, some voicemails. We're going to be playing those on the next episode. Also, keep the emails coming about how you're being affected by this crisis. We're going to start reading those on the next episode as well. We've gotten a whole lot of really, really interesting and, and uh, really interesting stories from people uh, about how this is like affecting everyone's lives. It's really far-reaching, obviously, and, and uh, keep those coming in, which you can send to uh, the Insurgents Pod at gmail.com. So uh, that's all for now. Uh, we're going to get to our interview with Josh Androsky now. It was a very good talk. Uh, really enjoyed speaking with him. Uh, and he's going to be joining the show right after this. Now we're joined by Josh Androsky. Josh, thank you for joining us, man. Hey, thanks for having me. So do you want to take a second and tell the listeners uh, who you are and what you do and why they should care what you think? Sure. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, I dropped out of high school, so I'm... Great start, uh, great start. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm proof that um, college is a lie. Uh, I... <laughs> I'm an organizer and comedian out of Los Angeles. Um, I uh, most recently have been working on uh, Nithya Raman's insurgent campaign uh, to um, basically bring somebody progressive, somebody to the left of Joe fucking Biden to our city leadership. Uh, and <laughs> That'd be nice. Right? Um, and uh, I can announce now officially um, that uh, it, it was just confirmed um that she is moving on to the runoff she had the best uh performance against an incumbent la awesome. city council person since the iraq war started well great yeah so um i i've been working as communications director and i've been on the ground talking to activists organizers experts since uh, really since August uh, with the campaign. So I've, I've been able to really plug myself into exactly what's happening. Uh, and really quickly for uh, those that have not heard of Nithia, uh, A, you don't follow enough comedians. Uh, and B, <laughs> um, that's fine. Uh, so Nithia is, um, she's an immigrant, a mother of two twins um, who was, uh, basically she wrote a report, the first ever report that showed just how dire the uh, homelessness crisis in Los Angeles uh, was becoming. And this was years ago. And she was the first person to go to every homeless organization uh, and have them start communicating with each other because they were doing all of these completely, you know, they were doing the same work and then nobody was doing uh, other vital work because too many groups were doing the same fucking thing. Nobody was talking. She found out that uh, through the report that she wrote for the city that we were spending uh, 80% of the uh, money that we had devoted to homelessness on literally jailing our unhoused neighbors and then releasing them three days later. 
which is the worst kind of policy because it's insanely cruel and ineffective. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So then she um, left city politics to start a, um, a homelessness coalition called SELA, which is the Silver Lake Echo Park Los Feliz Atwater Homelessness Coalition. And they were the first real, uh, like, energized group of renters and homeowners who were stepping up for our unhoused neighbors. So uh, we're talking massive outreach volunteers and setting up an ad hoc weekly uh, de facto shelter uh, that provided um, showers, uh, you know, case services and managers, addiction services, and also just like food and a fucking movie to make folks feel like they were human. Um, and uh, this is during a time when our city uh, was completely ignoring all of this stuff. Uh, and so, you know, her and her ragtag group of volunteers that were doing this shit on their lunch breaks at work and, at, you know, at night raising their kids uh, in their spare time were doing the work that our city was just ignoring. Um, so that, you know, working on this campaign has uh, basically uh, informed me of the situation on the ground. Okay. Yeah, we were I, we were like waiting a couple minutes for you to for you to join the call, and I was like, oh, goddamn Hollywood guys are always pulling this stuff. <laughs> but but no, it seems we, like it seems like you're actually doing some important stuff. So I guess yeah. I shouldn't. <laughs> Quite literally, the reason that I was late is because <laughs> the numbers were just confirmed, and I had to send out a press release because we'd been oh. waiting uh, on on the county, which. As anybody that followed any part of this election uh, season <laughs> knows, um, our, our, the way that they count the votes has been kind of weird. Yeah. 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 The Cal- California Seems elections are no jokes to begin with because it's just you're, you're waiting forever because it's like it's like the mail in ballots can be what they can be mailed in the, like a couple days later after the election so, or, or the day of. Yes. They can has get there a couple days the- later. Have they even finished counting for the the actual primary, like the Democratic primary? Literally today, apparently (laughs) finished counting everything, but we hear maybe the write-in votes are still left to be counted. Oh my god! And this this election in Los Angeles specifically uh, is there were a lot of fuck ups, but our fuck ups were more understandable than any other city's fuck-ups because for the first time in our city's history we synced up our notoriously low voter turnout local elections with the presidential election and opened up voting uh for uh, i believe it was like 10 days or so uh or or a week or so um uh, before the actual election. So you could go into voting centers uh, a week before the election and vote. Um, now, they also closed a lot of uh, polling places around college campuses, uh, which was kind of weird. Oh, weird. Uh, yeah, weird how that works. <laughs> uh, but other Seems than to happen that, all over the place, interestingly. <laughs> yeah, so there was, there, there was a, a new... Um, uh, basically, the the turnout in Los Angeles, uh, it, I believe it was it almost tripled, uh, which is just crazy. Yeah, it's wild. And I mean, Bernie, good on you, though, by a lot. Get... Oh hell yeah, 
Good on you for doing local politics. Because everyone always talks about that. It's like, oh, you know, all politics is local. But no one actually wants to do anything. No one actually wants to help affect positive and progressive change or leftist change in their city councils. Uh, no, it's all it's all just hollow rhetoric bullshit for a lot of people. So good on you for actually doing it. Thank you. And and I can, I can be the first to attest. I, you know, I fucking dropped out of high school. I have no uh, <laughs> politic, like political experience at all whatsoever. Uh, and I could do it. And we fucking did better than any other insurgent, you know, candidate in the 16, 20, 17 years. Um, and that's because yeah. we had over 700 local volunteers. That's awesome. We yeah. knocked on well, I mean, over I mean, eighty. We knocked on over eighty thousand doors. Oh man, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's, I don't think that should be a barrier for entry. Uh, people that feel like they don't have the experience or the know-how, because from my observations, a lot of the people that do have the experience <laughs> and the know-how don't seem to really know what the fuck they're doing a lot of the time. So I, mean, I think it's. I think everyone should just get in there because <laughs> the actual people that are currently like in the the Ivy League, like people that are kind of entrusted to uh, safeguard all these institutions and and do this stuff don't seem to really have a, everyone's best interests at heart sometimes i feel like yeah and and um you know it's funny that you mentioned that because the the main difference that i've seen is that these ivy league you know lanyard uh, ghouls are they'll go in and say here's my idea on how to fix the city right and and they're like coming up with this shit in their own fucking heads or they're worse just getting uh you know policies written for them by lobbyists and enacting them uh what we did is we realized hey you know we're not the first people to try to help other people let's do some roundtable discussions with all of the organizers that have been doing this shit for longer than we've been alive so (laughs) we sat down with the groups that are you know on the front lines and that's how we built our policies by talking to shocker the people who were experiencing the struggle mm. uh and it worked you know it resonated so much with so many people and that's what i recommend if you're listening to this and you want to help uh and you want to start get buy-in from those local groups that w- there's no way that we would have ever come as far as we did if we hadn't done that first absolutely yeah huh. uh, the one thing you, you mentioned earlier um the you, the the centering of uh, people experiencing homelessness in Los Angeles. And that's been a common uh, target for the right and even Trump. Uh, but it, I had to watch Tucker Carlson for a very long time. And that is a f- go-to yeah, topic for him. He, yeah, he thinks it's like bringing back uh, medieval diseases uh, and blames homeless people in L.A. or people experiencing homelessness in L.A. Uh, for pretty much all of the city's problems. Uh, what what was the general response to advocacy on that front? Uh, just see, I can't I can't imagine Tucker Carlson's worldview is the common uh, belief or mindset in Los Angeles. Well, no. still, I feel like some of these people should just kind of like suck it up and marry a frozen food heiress and make <laughs> get a bunch of and do that. I mean, yeah, make on, all their really. money in bow ties futures. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so here's the thing. You'd be shocked, but up until a couple of years ago, when so up until a couple of years ago, um, our homelessness crisis, right, was um, it was still pretty well segregated from the majority of the city. It was Skid Row, which everybody's heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, it was at the beaches, and it was in Hollywood, and uh, so it was much easier to otherize 
the homeless, right? It was so mm-hmm. much easier to avoid, uh, you know, the actual crisis. And um, that led to people like Tucker, Tucker Carlson, but not just Tucker Carlson, people in our local media to adopt the same worldview as Tucker Carlson. And when you investigate it, you know, it, the thing that makes it stick is that at its most like pulled out wide view, they have a point, which is that the Democrats have been in charge of this shit and they've let this fucking happen. That's not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, everything else they say after it is. <laughs> but when you have that kernel of truth, that makes it easier to buy the rest of the bullshit for people who just haven't really seen the problem. But since Nithya wrote that report like six or seven years ago, uh, we have seen an explosion to where every fucking neighborhood in Los Angeles is affected. There are, mm-hmm. you know, neighborhoods that are quote unquote nice neighborhoods in the city where there's encampments like like fucking District 9 shit, you know, happening all over yeah. Uh, the the city of Los Angeles, just fucking shanty towns being built in parks and along freeway underpass. Uh, and so having it be an issue that can no longer be ignored has gone a long way in allowing us to change, to help change the uh, perspective to show that, you know, hey, these aren't just people that are being quote unquote bust in, which is fake. That doesn't happen. Uh, the, the numbers prove that the vast majority of people that are living on the streets of Los Angeles are, uh, have lived in their communities where they're currently on the streets uh, within the last few years before they ended up on the streets, right? Um, it, it's, it's so much more difficult to, to say, this is your fault when people you know have started to experience this, when you're yeah. seeing people who are like on the streets but don't look traditionally homeless, they're younger, they're more put together because maybe they do have a job, maybe they do have a car, yeah, you know, but they can't afford housing. So what we've been able to do is to try and 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 succeed in this, you know, along with the other organizations that have been doing this for so much longer than we have, to to shift that perspective to show that hey, maybe this has something to do with the fact that every new building in our city is a fucking luxury mixed use condo, and not affordable housing. Yeah. You know, uh, maybe- a condo that a lot of the time is probably empty. That's just like as part of some dickheads like investment stock portfolio or whatever. Yes, and and and. With the vacancy stuff, that's not as big of an issue in Los Angeles as it is in New York, because at least in New York, there's some density. <laughs> uh, there are, there is, there's public housing in New York. Uh, Los Angeles hasn't built a unit of public housing since 1955. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yes. It is since fucking Disneyland opened. Yeah. <laughs> they built Disneyland and they were like, well, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> that's all you need. What more could you want? All your dreams can come true there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Josh, okay, so I was just wanted to, did you have something else? Uh, you, can, you can continue if you want. Yeah, yeah, really quickly. I just wanted to also mention that unlike New York and, and other cities, um, there is no law that states that uh, homeless individuals have to be sheltered. Uh, so we have 
the biggest unsheltered homeless population of any city in the country. And that has led to more people dying of exposure in the temperate climate of Los Angeles than in New York City. Three people die on our streets every day. Every day. Oh, man. Yes. And and that's become impossible to ignore. It, Nithya, um, uh, one of our volu- core volunteers uh, and fellow podcaster Hayes Davenport and I were uh, out in August looking for, uh, you know, space for, for our office. And literally, like, the, the first day that we all, like, met up together to, like, uh, go out and, like, do this work, we happened upon a, a man who died on the streets, who was being zipped up into a fucking body bag. Like, you can't escape the reality of this shit in Los Angeles. You know, like, it, it's it's become a situation where you're sort of seeing, like, with, you know, the millions of people losing their jobs and losing their health insurance right now because of coronavirus, uh, that it's making people wake up to the idea that, hey, maybe having your insurance tied to your employer isn't that good of an idea. You know, we, we are at that crisis point right now in Los Angeles and have been for the better part of the last few years. Yeah, well, that was an excellent segue, actually. Uh, thank you. Thank, <laughs> thanks for that. Uh, because coronavirus is obviously the... Uh, the big sort of situation and, and that's affecting everything right now. Um, and obviously, um, it obviously like really vulnerable communities are really, really impacted by this even more so, uh, like the homeless community uh, okay. in Los Angeles and elsewhere. Um, but it's something that that's touching absolutely everything right now. So what is actually happening on the ground in Los Angeles? Like, how are they, how have they been responding to this? Is it getting out of control there? Like, what do you see? What do you see the immediate future in LA looking like um, as this crisis develops? So, the, there's two things that are happening simultaneously that contradict each other. It's a a, a, a bit of a, 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 a fucking what's the goddamn word that everybody says that isn't praxis. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm showing myself for not knowing much fucking theory right now. Uh, uh, we don't we don't bother with that here. Okay, great. Yeah, um, yeah. This is a safe space for people that have no fucking clue what what any of that stuff is. A safe space for people who can't read. Um, <laughs> not because of like being illiterate, but because of attention span. Um, <laughs> right, right. Of course, I would uh, otherwise. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's ableist to yell at me for not reading because I'm ADD. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Got it. Um, so so uh, um, it, there are two contradicting things happening right now at the same exact time. One is that our mayor, Eric Garcetti, uh, has actually done a relatively great job of um, flattening the curve. Our numbers came out like today. Um, today's the numbers day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, we are... Our our shelter in place, you know, after a very uh, public failure in in failing to uh, call off the L.A. Marathon, um, which was about two and a half weeks ago, um, the uh, ever since then, he has taken this very, very seriously. And and um, the percentage of positive cases, even though we just had a huge jump of confirmed cases that confirmed case jump is due to an increase in testing, not an increase in, you know, new positive, uh, you know, community spread. 
right? The percentage of positive tests has stayed about flat at roughly 11%. So deaths are rising, but we're maybe not yet on the same track as, say, Italy, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Our, our, first case, our first cases of death are almost certainly due to people who contracted the disease outside of Los Angeles, which means that perhaps, you know, the evidence suggests that the first victims of community spread happened about six or so days ago. So that means that if we stay in this lockdown scenario, we're actually ahead of where Italy was meaning that yeah. our curve has now flattened and it looks like we've delayed the peak. You know, you see New York peaking, you see uh, places that listened to the DNC and held elections peaking, <laughs> but it looks like uh, the, it looks like Los Angeles's peak may not happen until about April 24th, which is a very good sign for our hospitals, <laughs> you know, to allow uh, you know, uh, our hospitals to maintain uh, treating all their patients and not creating fucking death panels. Um, yeah. So we we might, you know, be able to actually free up aid and, uh, you know, uh, protective equipment for the cities that are undergoing a peak, right? So basically that part of it, the social distancing part of it, as much as I hate our local government, I, I kind of got to fucking hand it to them. Uh, yeah. they, they've done a very good job of this, and, and I encourage and everybody else encourages them to continue. Them. Um, on the other hand, when it comes to how working people are being helped, Oh boy, uh, I'm going to go ahead and... <laughs> Not so much. I'm going to signal the whoopsie alert. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's been a bit of a whoopsie. Uh, yeah. so, Careful, that's pretty divisive, man. You want to you watch that some kind of stuff. Look, c civility be danged. They're making whoopsies. <laughs> uh, they're making some 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 ramalama ding dongs over here. Okay, yeah, I'll say. I'm gonna it. have to bleep. I'm gonna bleep oh, this stuff shit, out of later. Man. <laughs> this is a family friendly show. <laughs> Sorry, they're knuckleheads. All right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, wow. They. So I don't know yet if they've come back from their recess. All right. So let me provide some context really quickly. Um, the city council in Los Angeles has voted unanimously over 99% of the time, even though there is traditionally one Republican present. Uh, that means that if it, there is a motion that is being brought forward to public debate, to the actual council chambers, right, that they already fucking talked about it. They already did a backroom deal and they all got on the same page. And that was sort of the tradition behind our uh, most... Uh, recent city council president Herb Wesson. So under his watch, there was a fuck. They, they were demsen, <laughs> like they were they were fucking tankies. Like uh, you you could not talk against the company line. Uh, if you did not want to vote yes, you just didn't show up to work, and literally there was an automatic yes button at your desk that would just vote yes for you. That is not an exaggeration. Um, so city council had not had to deal with something where they had to act immediately, even though we were, you know, the epicenter of the homelessness epidemic and also uh, have like uh, an undocumented population that's being terrorized by ICE. 
they still they didn't treat that shit like this and 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 they can't slow walk COVID-19. So uh, what happened was uh, about a week ago, they met and for the first time in a fucking decade actually debated stuff in front of the public. And it was a disaster. It was a fucking <laughs> mess. People didn't know what things they were voting on. The new president of the city council was getting shit wrong. Everybody was getting shit wrong. They weren't socially distancing. They were all packed into council chambers. Everything about it was a total fucking shit show. Uh, and, and in that uh, meeting, one council member actually stepped forward and um, kind of got radicalized. His name's Mike Bonin. He represents Venice. Uh, so solidarity with fucking Jim Morrison uh, and uh, fucking aliens smoking weed uh, and all the other things that happened on the Venice boardwalk. Uh, but he, he actually uh, put forth a motion and got uh, two or three, three, I believe, other council members to sign on. And now I, I also must say this. Um, L.A. City Council is the most powerful city council in the country we are talking they have uh each a quarter million constituents and they pay themselves more than members of congress uh there are only 15 congress council members for a city of four million people to put that into perspective chicago which as we all know is a bastion of totally above board politics oh yeah uh, they have over 50 representatives for a smaller population. We have 15, one five. So each of these council members' votes is the equivalent of like fucking 10 uh, in another city. Um, now, when a council member gets a, a motion that is uh, like seconded and thirded, that usually means it's going to pass. And this motion was a, uh, an eviction moratorium that would allow renters two years to pay off the estimated two months of rent that they would, uh, ha- that they would not have to pay uh, for uh, you know, the duration of this crisis, right? Um, that is not enough, but it's a bare minimum, right? Mm-hmm. And what happened was a former cop on city council named Joe Buscaino chimed in and said he invoked the Hippocratic Oath. He said, hey, guys, I, it's our duty. First, do no harm to landlords. Oh. He literally invoked the, the most maligned people in our society. Yeah. You got to we got to watch out for them. Right. Yeah, when, I th- when I think of marginalized groups, like that's yeah, the yeah. first that's the first group that comes to my mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, you know, landlords, Pe- people of guys. land. <laughs> yes. Excuse me. Landlord is 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 not OK. It's problematic language. <laughs> uh, we, we particularly you don't, it's, you it's don't mess around with that kind of with those kind of slurs on here. Do you think that <laughs> whatever? Do you think that somebody calls himself a landlord, but with an X instead of the O? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. so, Some landlord in like Los Feliz, absolutely. Waves. <laughs> the band, the guy from the band Waves. Oh god, yeah, right, right. Yes, right. There he calls go. himself I forgot a about that saga, which was felt nice. like a month ago. Oh, he's chimed in. He's not happy about uh, people not paying rent. Uh, yeah. So, so 
we have this bill that 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 or this motion that seems to be uh, on track based on all historical precedent, right? That this is going to get passed. This cop, a former cop, jumps in and says, uh, first do no harm to landlords," uh, <laughs> and they cut the repayment schedule to six months. Jesus Christ! From two years to six months, uh, <laughs> because they don't want to harm people. Uh, this yeah. is insane, especially in the city of Los Angeles, because uh, around half of uh, the median Angelino pays around half of their income to rent. So what you're doing now is you're saying uh, you have to sacrifice something that you can't afford. You have to sacrifice, uh, you know, uh, food for your family. Uh, uh, a, a vital, uh, you know, utility, your water or electricity, your gas bill. So you get hot water to fucking wash your hands. Uh, how about just medical care, period, if you're going to not become homeless? Uh, the L.A. Times reported a study recently within the last couple of years that showed that a 5% increase in rent in the city of Los Angeles leads to 2,000 new people being forced out onto the streets. Jesus Christ. And based on some initial math, this six-month repayment is a 13% increase in rent for two months. So that's thousands and thousands of more people on the streets of Los Angeles based on this bill. And everybody in the city council, with the exception of the Venice dude, Mike Bonin, uh, Mm -hmm. voted for them. Jesus Christ. Uh, and, that's, and that's not even, I, I got to imagine those, that would be an even worse scenario when you factor in what will likely be a, a stagnant economy for a while. Yes. Like it's going to be tough. For, like hiring is not going to resume at the same speed with all of the layoffs. Like, this is going to be a, a, a nagging issue for maybe a couple years. Absolutely. Yeah. All they're doing is kicking the can down the road so that people aren't getting evicted during the crisis. They'll just get evicted after the crisis. Oh, and by the way, these eviction, quote unquote, protections. Yeah, I'm using scare quotes. Uh, I'm I'm really P.O., dude. I'm T.O. Yeah. Well, uh, we're, we're going to throw a content warning before this whole episode goes up. Um, uh, they... These uh, uh, these protections only protect you for non-payment of rent, right? So, for example, if you live in Los Angeles and say your kid uh, gets booted out of their dorm at NYU by a dancing dean and fuck, or you know, uh, one of any other university and has to move back in, well, if that violates your lease, bye bye. You know, yes. like if your if your mom or your friend gets sick and, and, and has to leave their nursing home or their assisted living facility because that's a fucking death trap of COVID and moves into your house and that violates your your lease. Fucking bye bye. You have to die on the street like a dog. Like that's what we're saying to people in Los Angeles right now. Like you, you are only protected if you don't pay rent. But even if you don't pay rent, the the way that our 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 beautiful eviction moratorium works at the moment, and granted, they may be deliberating this right now. They they went on a giant recess uh, because well, first they went on a recess uh, because someone was showing dick pics in the chat. That's not a joke. Uh, that is true. That is a hundred percent true. Um, 
and they went on another recess uh, because of other tech problems and because they 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 honestly just weren't ready uh, to deliberate things in the public. But uh, as it's written, as we're recording this, um, they they also are going to make you still go to court to prove that you were affected by a generational pandemic. Yeah. So they're still going to drag your ass to court during a fucking depression to prove that the pandemic that history books will be written about uh, affected you. And and they're, they're asking for like, doctor's notes they're asking for uh employee uh, employer uh like letters uh like i know right now like a big thing that's happening in la is that they're not testing people that don't play for the fucking lakers or you know uh aren't aren't uh you know uh, don't have their own bravo show um they're they're not testing you like i I called because I was worried about symptoms uh, for myself and my girlfriend. And they said, well, regardless of what you have, we're not going to test you unless it would affect how we treat you. So just take some Tylenol, treat the symptoms, uh, and then come in when you can't fucking walk anymore or can't breathe in. <laughs> yeah. That's what they're telling people in the city of Los Angeles. Like, maybe that's why they're keeping those numbers low. It's the Trump strategy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're doing that simply for a lack of, of testing. This this new bump, they just secured a bunch of more tests. So they were doing that to ration out tests, uh, presumably for the rich. But now they have the ability to test thousands of people a day. And so that's where those new numbers came from, is once they started testing like thousands of people, uh, over a thousand people a day in L.A. County, they're finding that they're roughly the same amount of positive results, which is that is where we're getting the evidence that are sheltering in places. Okay. Also, yes, they were definitely juicing the numbers uh, to allow <laughs> fucking rich people to be the only people to get tested. That is true. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, that's just like that's just that's the, uh, the no, like nominal or normal distribution of our healthcare system as is. Like you're going to get yep. better treatment because you're wealthy, um, and this I think this this reflects like an interesting moment in our national conversation, especially about healthcare. Um, I guess on a local level, do you see leaders emerging on this front talking about the need to pivot to like away from all of this like means testing bullshit, pa- like mountains of paperwork to get what should just be guaranteed? Um, do you see anything happening in LA on that front? There is a tectonic shift happening in Los Angeles right now. Um, Los Angeles and California as a whole has been a battleground for residential and, and real estate politics. Uh, you know, that's if if you've ever heard somebody call themselves a fucking yimby, we're sorry. Oh yeah, they came yeah. from here. Nimbies, yimbies, even fimbies, which I <laughs> begrudgingly have to accept uh, that that's a term that people in our movement use. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, a NIMBY means not in my backyard, which is um, that traditionally the, the, the sort of Howard Jarvis homeowner revolt of the 70s that led to uh, the terrible quality of California public schools by lowering property taxes for some of the richest companies in the fucking world. We're talking every Silicon Valley company. Um that has been the traditional mold in, in California state politics. 
we don't want your your high rises. We don't want your density. We don't want poor people and affordable housing in our backyards. That has been replaced by YIMBYs, who are generally speaking, and for the last couple of years, uh, your Vox reading lanyard people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they are, yes, in my backyard. We do want all this stuff, but unregulated free market versions of it only, which means that we're only going to get these new, you know, horrifying uh, giant luxury units um, and, and, and condos and shit like that. So now what you've seen uh, already starting to come out uh, from the homelessness crisis was, you know, Fimbies or, or public housing in my backyard and, and people that are fighting against the Yimbies. Uh, what coronavirus has done is actually aligned these more, um, you know, traditionally professional managerial class Yimbies with the actual organizers and activists on the ground for full scale rent forgiveness. That is the call that's being made right now. Over 150 community organizations petitioned the city of Los Angeles and the governor to pass a, a temporary rent forgiveness. And I want to take this time to explain very quickly that a rent freeze is, it does not forgive your rent. A rent freeze, when you ask for a rent freeze, which the Nithya campaign has been asking for well before uh, coronavirus became a, a, a massive thing. Um, that is to stop your landlord from increasing your rent. That is what a rent, it freezes the amount that you pay. It doesn't stop you from paying. A rent suspension, rent forgiveness, a rent pause, a fucking jubilee, uh, you know, that is when your landlord no longer gets to take your money for rent due to this horrific crisis. So that that has become something that you're seeing. You're also seeing these groups rally behind um, traditionally, you know, workers that have been completely ignored. Uh, hospitality, uh, retail, you know, uh, uh, restaurant workers. And there's a massive push. And, and actually right before I jumped on as I was uh, doing some work in the background, I was hearing a very, very uh, contentious debate uh, where the city is planning on forcing companies to uh, give everybody sick leave uh, for the company, you know, the 80% of workers that have been left in the cold by the federal sick leave bill that passed a, a week ago. Um, so you're seeing now a realignment of politics and uh, the only people that are, are being left behind, uh, that those are the people in charge. And, you know, our, our, our entire city is basically has been operating under a Joe Biden presidency for as long as I fucking lived. So it's not <laughs> a surprise that our mayor uh, is one of Biden's most vocal uh, supporters and surrogate. Right. Do you guys want to talk? I mean, do you have anything else? local stuff that you wanted to talk about Josh or do you want to do you want to talk about like what's happening like nationally in the United States right now with this 
stimulus bill that just happened somewhat controversial I, my my understanding is that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, people have thing, different sort of views of this really quickly one thing to say on the local level before moving on to the totally great and not at all problematic stimulus um <laughs> uh basically we cannot allow uh ourselves to be swept under the rug and by ourselves i mean the, the vast majority of people who rent um, the LA Tenants Union is an incredible organization. There's also a great organization called Ground Game, CELA, which I mentioned before, but specifically the Tenants Union. These tenants unions exist in cities all over the country. And if you want to actually do a rent strike that does not end with you being the only person from your apartment that is fucking evicted for standing up for yourself, then join your local tenants union. They will help you do you know do all of this and 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 they will be there they are oftentimes the only people who fucking give a damn about so join your local tenants union um that being said yeah dude uh this bill uh is bad it's a bad <laughs> bill that should not have passed and mm. i for one am furious at every single democrat in the house uh i, I there's there's this the fact that they all just rolled over for this, including our faves, including people that I fucking love, like Ilan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, uh, like they have they have all but said to us, in my opinion at least, that there is no reason uh, to vote for a Democrat in in fucking Congress. That that it doesn't matter. That even if the Democrats have a fucking majority, they won't use it. There's no point to having a Democratic majority in the U.S. House of Representatives. So yeah. yeah, so yeah, Jordan, maybe you want to share with this because like my my I have a limited understanding. I think so. This is the bill that came from the Senate. Correct me if I'm wrong here. You get a sweet twelve hundred uh, Trump bucks in there, <laughs> one time, one time payment, and then like a massive slush fund for the largest corporations in the country, and also some like some EI protections that the Dem Dems Democrats did fight for, and Bernie Sanders specifically said he was going to kind of held up the moving of the bill to, to fight for that. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, the unemployment insurance will cover your full salary for four months, which is huge because there was speculation that the United States either would not do that or uh, would have like some like f fraction of a move. It's like three-fourths or 80%, something like that. But 100% of your salary for four months, which is, you know, very, very helpful. That's really great. And yeah, Bernie said he was going to stall... Uh, the, the, the process if he didn't get it. And also Republicans, a couple of Republicans were trying to claim because of how it works out in a couple states, uh, they have kind of antiquated infrastructure. Uh, for some reason, this is this is even like the Republican justification for it. Like Trump's justification was that in a couple states, it's going to be a little bit more. It'll be like 600 bucks more. And a, a handful of Republican senators were saying they shouldn't, they shouldn't be in there as SAS notably. Um, because that would create an incentive for people to lose their jobs and, yeah. and go out. You can't have the people that are making like minimum wage get a few extra goddamn dollars. Yeah, and it, it, just, this, it reflects crisis. how out of touch they are because like no one is going to want to willingly lose their job in a in a depression. Hey, because man. Because there's no guarantee of having one after. Hey, hey, fat. Listen, Jack. <laughs> all right. It's called a it's called a minimum wage, not a living wage. Right. Get used to it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so it's uh, that was good. But to Josh's point, it's like they kind of rolled over on some other things. Like there was no real pushback when after 
uh, after it left the Senate, the House really had an opportunity to in- enhance it and, and make it better and then work out the details in re- reconciliation. But they made no substantive changes. Uh, I did. I don't know why. Um, I could take a couple guesses, but I mean, it's just like they're ultimately beholden to corporate power. And then, we, as I was telling you earlier, uh, Trump's signing statement made it clear that he's going to push back on what Pelosi and and Schumer negotiated for oversight over the slush fund. So now, uh, the Inspector General. Um, well, actually, let me go back. I don't know the, the exact inner workings, but basically, this there means, wasn't oversight. There, there. Yeah. Now. There's no, there's none now. Well, there, there, what there was, I mean, if Elizabeth Warren wants to talk about blood and teeth, there was no blood in one tooth. Uh, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that's it. That was all that was in there. It was, it, they didn't have the power of subpoena. They, all they could do was just like, essentially talk to the manager. And now it's I, like a handshake deal with Steve Mnuchin to do the right thing kind of thing. No, yeah. because they're giving all this money. You know, who's in charge of divvying it out? BlackRock. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was all happening before this. So what yeah. Trump's doing is getting rid of the cosmetic, like, shit, like, just the theater aspect of the what zero regulations were in there before. Cool. That sounds awesome. I'm really excited. But yeah, yeah. yeah I, think, I, to, to I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to know how to, like, how to, where to come at this from, because, like, it does seem like one of those situations where, at least in the Senate, like with Bernie, like this is the kind of thing that that Democrats say he never does anything, and like this is what he's been doing his whole career though. When he sees like a a shitty piece of legislation, but he's like, okay, I can pull some, uh, use my leverage here to make this slightly better and 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 deliver results for people here. I agree. Um, I agree entirely with what you're saying about Bernie in the Senate. There's only he's the only one who did anything really in either house to to genuinely benefit working people, uh, and and he was alone in the Senate. That's not the same for the House. <laughs> so yeah, yes, Bernie, they have a majority, and they could have they could have changed this bill once they got it from the Senate. It right? would have been incredibly. hard. I'm displaying my ignorance as a Canadian here. This is some, this is sometimes where I'm not totally uh, uh, well versed in the actual you know. From what I've read, sausage making stuff. From what I've read, the way that it, it, it transpired is any single House member could have. Uh, demanded a call for a recorded vote, I believe is the term, um, which mm-hmm. would force everybody to come back to the table and actually negotiate this thing, uh, which granted, yes, would put a lot of political heat on you because you could be the the one person who's stopping the American people from getting their Trump bucks. Uh, but yeah. at the same time, uh, nobody's going to get these Trump bucks or this unemployment until after the first of the fucking month anyway. So a, a, a measured um, like communication strategy that would have said, hey, we need, I agree, we do need to pass the UI benefits. You know, we do need to pass the hospital funding. We do need to pass the city and state debt, uh, you know, buy up that, that are so necessary uh, from this bill. We can separate that shit from the corporate fucking giveaway. And we can agree right now to just pass that part. And then we can talk about this other part after. And and the fact that nobody did that just shows that they either don't know how to use their power or they're too scared to. Yeah, I, I saw a couple people, I saw like Ilhan and, and Tlaib notably talking about the differences between what the, they had wanted. And there was, a, there was at one point, um, 
an effort by a few of them. They wanted to, to the House to draft their own bill. Uh, that didn't really happen. And I think there's part of it is because they're pressed against time. And the second part is that they are they're doing this in like a way, like just waves of relief. And this is like package one or package two or whatever. Um, and then we'll see when they come back in April after after their recess. Um, maybe then maybe their strategy strategy is to then relieve student aid um, to then talk about uh, UBI each month, something like that. Um, I mean, that's all well and good, but that doesn't do anything to regulate the five trillion dollars yeah. that is given out totally. to people who do not deserve it, who are only in this position because they've leveraged themselves to the brink of collapse anyway right right. yeah and like i mentioned before on this show too it's like a lot of these big corporations got a multi-trillion dollar tax cut and then use those use that extra money they got to just do stock buybacks and just pay themselves from the 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 pool that they generated pretty much and now they're like well it turns out we have no more money Uh, so if you guys can just go ahead and print some more of those slabs (laughs) and pallets of cash you can just dump on our office floor Kind yeah, of thing. machine machine uh, printer goes burr. Yeah, money money printing machine goes burr. Yeah, and 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 it, it like the the industries that are getting this relief are like some of the worst industries in the country, and the way that that <laughs> like even the small bit like this this whole thing is set up to basically make it so that there are five chains uh, and they control everything. That there's just not going to be another mom and pop liquor store or pharmacy in your town they're all going to be cvs there's not going to be any clothing stores in your town they're all going to be target because individual uh like franchised businesses uh that uh have under 500 employees that are part of major chains are able to raid the small business relief jesus christ yeah this is just cool it's a it's a corporate giveaway for the people who need it least um, and it's ultimately just the system we've set up and they, they, they need to appease their shareholders. And that comes before all, because ultimately it's about the stock market, which Trump can use as a bargaining chip and, and point to as uh, economic success. And Democrats do this too, of course, but they're just Republicans are in power right now. Right. It's all fucked up. <laughs> uh, to yeah, quote- I guess that's what, that's the thing that I'm kind of unclear on is that, you know, as as like I know that it's like really upsetting and and obviously this is like a huge bailout again in another crisis to a bunch to very wealthy people and corporations that don't need it. But I'm just wondering, yeah, I guess like you pointed out, if they there was a possibility to just pass other stuff in this bill, um, and not the corporate giveaway stuff, but people like I do understand, I guess that there's this timeline and that they're kind of like their hands are tied a little bit in terms of like we have to get relief into people's hands as soon as possible. And they're in this shitty position where they have to, you know, it's that classic like Democrat thing where it's like, yeah, yeah, it's bad, but we're going to, we're making it slightly better for people. Like that's, I feel like it's kind of a, kind of a no win scenario at the moment right now in this. Look, if this was a, if this was the amount of money that was in TARP, which was 800 billion, maybe that, that, that argument would, would stand. Uh, But we're talking about like over what like five times the amount like uh of tarp of the biggest bailout ever yeah so like there's zero excuses in my book for this there's there's zero excuses you could have uh 
talked to the American people and said, it is the Republicans that are holding your relief hostage by giving your future away to these other companies. We're all going to be fucked for decades if they do this. (laughs) Uh, So you're not going to get the money until April 1st anyway because Mitch McConnell went on reset. So right now, don't listen to their propaganda. Don't listen to them saying that we are... Uh, the ones holding up the relief. We're not. We're the ones trying to. We're the only ones trying to give you relief. And 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 yeah. they could have played the game of chicken that is necessary in power. Instead, they all yeah. to a person cowered and wilted. Yeah. Well, that classic Democratic Party move that we all <laughs> have come to know and love. Yeah. Yeah, fainting Fearless. like in a 17th century <laughs> Habsburg. <laughs> Uh, yeah, wrap I don't know. I, I don't know. I just like I don't I don't know how I've long kind of felt, you know, that there's there's obviously another economic crisis coming that this whole kind of gold plated Trump economy was a mirage. It was just completely artificial. And I've long felt that, like, if when this collapse does happen, if something similar happens as 2008, where so much relief goes to these people that do not need it and the people that truly get fucked just get nothing. Or, or get like a you know at this like pittance like here's your twelve hundred Trump bucks maybe if you qualify and then you know go away forever. Um, I just I've long felt that like if that was the situation that that developed, I just don't know that people are gonna are gonna be able to like deal with like really accept that and like I don't know what that's gonna mean, but it's because there's this crisis and because everyone's kind of reeling from this this com- really abrupt shift in our lifestyles and our you know our way of life. It seems like this is just kind of being rammed through right away before anyone really has any idea what's going on. So it's hard to really even know how, where to start pushing back on it, you know? Uh, what I would say, it, to bring it sort of back to the beginning of the show, is that um, for me at least, this just shows, like, between the way that the DNC rat-fucked Bernie again and um, this just absolute horror show of a bill that national politics is a dead end and you have to turn local. That's the only way that you will ever be able to materially improve anybody's life. Oh, by the way, the thing that I was thinking of earlier where it's the contradictions, it's a dialectic. God, I just got that. Oh, Um, there we go. (laughs) I knew actually, but I was just... I didn't want to just tell say that and embarrass you. So thank you, thank you. (laughs) But 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 for real though, like you have to turn local. That is the only place that you'll be able to improve anything. You actually have power, unlike in this uh, case of of national politics, where you have no power. You have the power to change your city, and we saw with Kashama Sawant in Seattle with the fight for fifteen that you know. The $15 minimum wage was not a thing until one city councilwoman in one American city made it a fucking thing. And now it's a thing. That's the yeah. only way that good shit's going to happen, in, in my uh, opinion. And lo and behold, I mean, once you pass that kind of legislation, Amazon dumped a whole bunch of money to try and get rid of her and weren't able to, you know, because yeah. people, turns out people actually like that when their politicians are actually, uh, you know, looking out for their inter- material interests and, you know, doing good things instead of bad things. Damn, interesting. Right. It's interesting strategy. <laughs> Oh, well, let's, let's wrap. All right. Well, uh, Josh, thank you so much for, for joining the show, man. It was great to talk to you about this stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And um, I just started a podcast with my friend Dave Jetty, uh, who is 
he wrote or helped write the public banking legislation that was recently passed in California. It's a uh, an economics podcast for people uh, whose eyes glaze over whenever they read the term mortgage-backed security. Um, and uh, it's called In the Red. It's uh, In the Red Pod on uh, Libsyn and on SoundCloud. We're waiting for our dear overlords at iTunes to put us in the <laughs> Apple Podcast Store. So take a look. Uh, take a listen. Are you going to talk at all about how the economy is fake and money is not real? Uh, to quote a uh, great economist, uh, Frederick Durst, everything is <laughs> fucked. Everybody sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on that note thank you very much josh <laughs> thank you take care man you too thank you for listening to the insurgents please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps and please remember to leave a review on apple Podcasts. it's very helpful and we appreciate it a lot Please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban, so please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye. Goodbye.